Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello and welcome to the Women in Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Burnell. I am the president and founder of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., a company that specializes in mergers and acquisitions within the manufacturing sectors. And I'm your host for today's show. So today we welcome to the show, Samantha Tollworthy. Samantha is the founder of a sustainable sock company, Teddy Locks. Um, Previously, she was a marine biologist and a uh, wildlife TV producer. This is going to be a fun interview. (laughs) Um, She gave up her dream job to start this company, um, building a brand from the fiber up. Um, She has now recycled more than 14,000 plastic bottles into luxuriously soft socks. Um, Made entirely within North Carolina, Teddy Locks is proudly women-owned and Green America certified. Samantha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, that's all correct. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um, the company, um, you know, why you founded it um, and what it's doing today. Sure. So as you mentioned, I was working as a wildlife TV producer, traveling to some pretty remote parts of the world. And unfortunately, no matter how far away I went, I was always surrounded by single-use plastic. But it was when I was back in New York where I was working at the time and where I started Teddy Locks that I realized that all of us are creatures of convenience and that we need our products um, to fit in with our busy lives. So uh, I decided it was time to leave my dream job, as you mentioned, and I spent 404 days developing a product that would be better for the environment, but also better for us. Socks are one of our, well, it is the most regularly thrown away item from our wardrobe. On average, we lose 15 socks a year. And for many who, you know, maybe have OCD or don't like mismatched socks, end up throwing away another 15 pairs a year. And on top of that, the fashion industry is quoted as the second most polluting industry on the planet. It's more polluting than shipping and aviation combined. So my idea was to come up with a product that would be better for us, serve us better, last us longer, stay in our drawers for longer, saving us time, money, hassle, um, but also be better for the planet. You, it's very interesting um, that the fashion industry is such a polluter. You had sent some stats over um, a hundred billion, I think you said, items are made every year. My husband thinks that half of those are in my closet. <laughs> but it, yeah, I, you know, so working in, um, you know, manufacturing m and that astounded me that the fashion industry is a bigger polluter um, than aerospace. People just don't think about these things. There's such a long journey for our products from whether it's a natural fibered material where we're looking at agriculture, the crops that are grown, 
processing that, making fabrics, dyeing before we're weaving, knitting, cut sew, finishing. Yeah. And then you have the transport on top of that. You know, you might be growing cotton, organic or not, in India. And then you might be flying those materials to somewhere like Portugal to make an ethical T-shirt. And then you might be selling it in the US or the UK. The footprint in that example would be 10,000 10, right. miles. With Teddy wow. Lock, one of the easiest ways um, to build a fully sustainable brand was me to reduce that footprint. For the, for the socks, I have five different recycled yarns. They're all made in North Carolina. The bottles are collected from the East Coast of the US. They're processed in North Carolina. And from that point, they don't leave North Carolina. So from fiber to finishing, when that product is packaged and ready to ship from North Carolina, um, it has traveled just 200 miles. So I think just overall, it's a step away from us as consumers, seeing that entire journey, that entire footprint as well as it's hard for us to recognize that there are actually people making our garments. I think a lot of people think that they're made by machines. Socks mm -hmm. are knit on machines, but they're monitored by people. Um, whereas our garments, you know, they're hand stitched. And a lot of those garment workers, unfortunately, are not in safe working environments and not paid right. a fair living wage. Yeah. Why did you choose North Carolina? It is the hosiery epicenter of the States was what I sort of gleaned from my research. Um, again, the footprint was really important for me. I was living in the States and I wanted a US made product. I'd be able to that way visit the manufacturers, build personal relationships with my supply chain. That was really important to me. Mm -hmm. Being able to both professionally and personally audit my suppliers. Mm -hmm. Um, but just having that technology there within the States, I think that one is amazing for US manufacturing. It provides jobs, um, but also just means again, like I said, that journey is really small and I can ensure the quality of the product. And all of the socks are knit on green certified machines by really skilled labor, laborers. Um, and I, you know, that comes through in the product, like they last forever. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that you had um, a very good bench, a workforce there that was skilled um, because, you know, the Carolinas were home to um, furniture manufacturing and upholstery. And so that that's a logical choice, it seems. Yeah, it's a big textile state. Yeah. Um, and. I have my spinning mills, my dye house, my knitting mill, everything there. And they're all brilliant. They're all local family run businesses. I know them all personally. I speak to them all on WhatsApp as well as like the phone and email. Yeah. Um, but there really is that personal connection with the brand. It also means that there's full transparency for consumers to understand where their products have come from and to understand that there is a journey to up to a to the items that we choose. I think that's really going to be more and more important for consumers. Yeah, so I'm fascinated. You have you have a, just a great story. I mean, you, you had this dream job, but you were incredibly passionate about the environment. And you talk to us a little bit about making the switch from um, television producer to entrepreneur. That's a scary leap. So you, you basically left something that was very secure, um, where you had kind of a jet setting lifestyle, 
to become an entrepreneur. Talk to us a little bit about um, that, that process psychologically um, and challenges you may have faced as you chose to start your business. Sure. Um, like you said, it was my dream job. I was just joking yesterday that if I was ever sick, I'd pretty much cry that I couldn't go to work. <laughs> um, and That's you know, it's a great atmosphere. You're surrounded by like-minded individuals who are all purpose-driven and passionate about the environment. Um, I think there were many factors that went into pushing me to make that leap. Ultimately, it was about feeling like I needed to have more personal control about it. The impact that I was having um, and although in television production and wildlife television production I was making programs for the BBC, Nat Geo, Science Channel, Discovery Channel, mm. um, you know conservation message is quite hard, they don't typically want to push that narrative so although there are opportunities to subtly point the camera away from the idyllic world that we create um there are constraints around that and as viewers we want that escapism we want to feel like that there, sure. there are all these yeah. amazing places that we want to go and see and that is the enjoyment that we need at the end of our day when we want to sit on the sofa after a hard day um but i think in terms of the tipping point is that i won't name the show that i was on but um i felt that it wasn't reflective of the animals i felt like we were demonizing the spe a species that needs protecting and just in terms of my work environment, I was seeing every day people going to pick up their lunch. They would grab a bag to carry their you know, box back to their desk. And really they'd only walked 10 yards and they didn't need the bag. They would have managed with it in their hand or they could have saved the bag from the day before. And despite sort of like my jokes, no one changed their habits. And I don't really think it's at the fault completely or in, at all of the consumer. We have big corporations that need to be held responsible for um what we consume and what we understand and the information that we have at hand so i just you know i realized in that moment that you know maybe people didn't need to know that their socks were made from plastic bottles was my initial thought maybe i could sort of slip under the radar and just start planting in you know that these socks are better and will last you longer and the performance would speak for itself um but i also think that there's really important sustainability messaging that needs to come hand in hand with the product so as well as it being a ridiculously high performing product that lasts forever um, mm. it has that positive impact in terms of the challenges well um as you and i have discussed before i launched on kickstarter i was 200 percent funded and that was you know categoric proof of concept there was demand for a product that would last that would be made in the us and that would be sustainable but then i gave birth to my first child <laughs> So I launched the business and had my first child all at the same time. Um, she just turned two yesterday. She goes to nursery now. So things are a little different than they were at the beginning. But it's, it's definitely been a journey. Um, being a female in the industry who hadn't got contacts in manufacturing, that was very challenging. I spent a lot of time in North Carolina building relationships. Um, I went to sock school. <laughs> Sock school. Literally. Tell me about that. <laughs> I went on a course to literally learn everything there was to know about socks um, from the types of fibers and materials, uh, the types of yarns, how 
the nomenclature of naming a yarn and how how we work those out it was invaluable it you know that time you know it gave me essentially clout it meant I knew what I was talking about I wasn't just going to people and saying hey I'm going to do something that hasn't been done before will you ride this crazy ride with me you know I knew what I was talking about because of it and um yeah, that, that meant that the process was a lot smoother. I could understand why there are five different yarns that go into a sock. Um, I thought there might be one. Uh, so you, your daughter is two years old and she was born shortly after you started your business, which means you were starting uh, right around the time COVID hit. Yeah, so that must have been scary. Yeah, I launched the website in January, February, she was born, and then March, COVID hit. So there was a lot um, up in the air. You know, there is an argument that maybe it gave me an excuse to, you know, not feel like I needed to conquer the world in year one. But at the same time, um, my personality meant that I just wanted to work harder. Mm -hmm. And there have been most nights, you know, I work till midnight and you know, you have to put in the hours and it's a great product that people are enjoying. And like you said, 14,000 bottles have now been recycled. And I absolutely love it when I'm receiving the, the emails and the reviews saying, I had an amazing email the other week from um, a military member of US military and he's a, a med in the military. And he emailed saying, I had no idea that socks would be so important or have such an impact on my life. But while I'm out in the field, these socks have provided so much joy at, because they're, they're working and performing for him, providing the comfort, but also knowing that he's doing good while he's deployed. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. So before I, I do want to talk to you about entrepreneurship and motherhood, but before we go there, I just want to touch base you use the term sustainability and you're passionate about this. Talk to us a little bit about why you believe manufacturers need to move in that direction. We don't have a choice. <laughs> Ultimately, we don't have a choice. Um, there are great ways that manufacturers can get involved. Um, if there are people who are manufacturing and maybe need to just take a first pass at this, it would be things like, are you offering recycling within the facility for the, the waste that you create as a manufacturer, but also for your staff? Are they bringing in their lunch? Do they have somewhere to dispose of for something like their drinks bottles? That would be a simple step. Um, but our impact on our planet, you know, we only have seven years now to halt. Um, temperature rise that we won't be able to control the impacts of and I know that some people are unsure of climate change but ultimately it's about reducing waste there's only finite space on this planet and whether we're using water energy or producing emissions um, we'll run out of space we'll run out of resources essentially so the sooner that manufacturers are able to transition to whether it's an LED light whether it's solar panels whether it's filtration of water systems, or whether it's just assessing their supply chains. If you are sourcing materials for brands that you work with, maybe you can offer those brands, hey, we have a US organic cotton, or we have an overseas virgin co cotton that is produced with pesticides and has ramifications um, in terms of footprint 
as well as for the people that grow it. So there are benefits as well to manufacturers in the US, especially for making these switches. You'll be supporting more people within the US as well. And yeah. I know that that is important to a lot of manufacturers. Yeah. So but beyond that, obviously, if they're choosing suppliers that are overseas, there's all kinds of things happening. Um, contributing to pollution with the transit of the raw material to get it to the US. Um, but beyond beyond that factor, you, you there are other reasons that you and I have discussed why you source locally. Um, speak into that a little bit if you can, and the lessons surrounding COVID and yeah. that particular point. Overseas, you don't have too much control over local regulations. So you might have more toxic runoff going into waterways where people are swimming, washing, drinking from. That is a huge one in terms of textiles manufacturing. In the US, we have our own standards that are federal and state-led. In terms of sock production, we don't use any water in the actual knitting stage of it. And then at finishing, I've actually dropped the dryer and detergents. So that reduces chemical use and energy and heat at the finishing process. And we use steam for pressing. Um, so that's much more environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. In terms of COVID, um, what ended up happening was, and as I'm sure many people are experiencing themselves in their fields, is that a lot of brands weren't able to source their materials the same way they'd always done before. This meant that they once sort of the first six months had passed by and people sort of understood that people were still shopping. They moved locally and they were like, OK, well, where can we get this without relying on freight and shipping delays? And obviously that was home turf. That, however, meant there was huge pressure on the suppliers in the US. And for me, I had to end up investing in five times the amount of materials that I would have wow. in a given year. Um, which was a huge upfront investment. But at the same time, it means I'm now prepared for a period of time seeing what happens going forward. But a lot of the manufacturers got left behind, you know, brands, clients weren't sure whether they were going to make sales and they pulled their purchase orders. And that meant that a lot of manufacturers sat not operating. And then when people came from overseas back and saying, hey, will you take me on? the manufacturers weren't going to say no. And now there's this big juggle between should you be loyal to the ones that were there before or should you be loyal to the ones that kept you in business at the hardest time? Yep. Um, so, the, yes, that was definitely, you know, eight to ten months of struggle and balancing, you know, how we could keep the supply chain as it was and work with those. And it did mean that deadlines were pushed and it did mean that things weren't, achieved as perhaps we would have had them achieve if it had been a normal year but it yeah. wasn't for anyone so <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of a lot of very difficult supply chain lessons were learned as a result of covid yeah so much of our listening audience are women in manufacturing and to the extent that we can part of the purpose of this podcast is to 
um, give a little nugget or something that will help the listening audience. You're a successful entrepreneur and you're a mom of a two-year-old. And I think I saw a dog behind you. It's, so He's the hottest one. Can you give tips to young women in manufacturing who are juggling what you're juggling? What would you say to them? I would say at the beginning, I was very proud and wanting to do a lot of things on my own and prove probably to myself rather than anyone else that I could do it. And hindsight's a wonderful thing, but certainly if you're starting out, find someone to do this with you. Find someone that has a complementary skill set to you. Um, mm. Work with people that understand you. I'm extremely lucky that my knitting mill is family run. Um, there are young children within their family as well. So they understand all those things that are going on in the background while they're trying to deliver for their clients. Um, I think it's about being flexible as well, as most parents will know that not every day is the same. And I can't tell you how many times I've been called by daycare saying, hey, you need to come and get her, she's not very well. <laughs> and then that throws, you know, a spanner in your whole day. Um, but I think also now it's like outsourcing and leaning on other people. Time is just as precious as money, <laughs> I would argue. That's right. And if you can find other people to lighten your load, that will become in and of itself invaluable. And that takes time. Any new start requires investment. Mm -hmm. It requires you handing over what's in your head, letting people catch up with um, what's going on. But as also, entrepreneurs, that's hard sometimes. For sure, right? like relinquishing control as well. Um, understanding that maybe you won't be right and maybe somebody else will come up with a better idea or be able to run with it in a more efficient direction. And that's, you know, all of it's very important in terms of learning experience, but also moving your business forward. Yeah, that's great advice. And it's, you know, um, as someone who sells manufacturing businesses for a living, you know, oftentimes you see a founder, a seller who um, has held on so tight to his business because he was afraid to let go of things. Um, and, you know, getting people that are, on board that are complementary um, to what what your skill set is, and letting go and letting them do their thing um, is critical to to success. And it actually makes your company more valuable when you go to sell it. So you've been an absolute delight. Tell us if people want to buy. I, I so seriously, I have purchased plastic shoes shoes made from and and they they're fabulous so I want to order your product and I'm sure other listeners might want to do the same do you sell through distributors or can they go directly to your website to purchase how would we do this yeah so for the full collection you should head to teddylocks.com mm -hmm. and you can shop the U.S. supply there um, and we will have new inventory coming out throughout the year so definitely keep an eye out for that um, and this has been so fun. So why don't we do a WAM 15 for everyone to have 15% off? And after this, I'll, oh, go, and, yeah, that's that's I'll go quickly web, add that to the website. Um, so that people <laughs> enjoy them. I think definitely with Teddy Locks, like one of the things that I got asked at the beginning was like, how are plastic socks going to be comfortable? And then the remarks back is just like, oh my God, they're cashmere soft. They remain soft forever. 
Um, and you know, they're washable, they're dryer proof, not quite probably dog proof, but <laughs> <laughs> everything else proof, everything else proof. So yeah, um, tailylocks.com. And then if you're on the East or the West Coast, there are a handful of boutique stores and they will also soon be in the MIT store and the Museum of Art and Design in New York. Oh, fabulous. Congratulations. That's really good news. Thank so you. listen, we appreciate you being with us. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I learned things that I didn't know. And I am, you know, as an entrepreneur, I just love what you did. You left something um, that was very comfortable to really follow your passion and make a difference. So um, congratulations, best wishes for continued success. I loved having you on this interview. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Thank you. Hey, so if you are a woman in manufacturing or in a company that services the manufacturing sectors and you'd like to be on the show, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Francis Brunel, or you can simply call my office, 908-387-1000. I would also like to encourage our listeners um, to visit WAM Podcast com where you can view all of our shows and also other shows brought to you by the jacket media company thanks for watching hope you guys have a great day thank you for joining the wham podcast where women empower other women in business and manufacturing for more shows like this go to whampodcast.com that's whampodcast.com thanks for tuning in This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.